Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Masonic Central Podcast, the podcast for Freemasons by Freemasons. This is Greg Stewart and my good friend, Dean Kennedy. How you doing, Dean? Hey, great, great. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to spring. Can you believe it? We, uh, we've had our first day of spring, and, and we've now started to tilt towards summer. Is it, it's it been like fabulous year. What's that? Uh, so does it feel like spring for you? Is it a, is everything oh starting to bloom and the allergies coming up and all that good stuff? Oh, oh yeah, we have uh we have it's pretty warm up here. Um, wow. My my uh yeah. I have a lot of friends and relatives in Florida and we're warmer up here than in Florida, so I'm happy. <laughs> They're not so happy. Uh, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. It's it's hard to believe that winter's already over and that we're already in spring, but uh but good times, good times. We're, we're rolling into the year. Spring break for us is coming up and, and all that good stuff. I'm, I'm going to take a, a week down in Florida in a few weeks. So I think it'll be uh, take nice your hopefully, hopefully it'll warm up some. <laughs> hopefully it'll warm up. So so this week we're we're going back a little bit to, to some of our basics. We're, we're going back to a table talk again. We haven't done this in quite a while. And uh, I know a lot of folks have been asking for it, and hopefully uh, we'll get a little something out of it tonight as we, we do a little bit of a film-as-lit comparison, um, which takes me back to the college days a little bit, to, to analyze the, the graphic novel From Hell with the actual film that came out with uh, Johnny Depp a few years ago and, and, look, at the, and look at some of the, the differences, the similarities, and, and how the two work at telling the same story to see if they, in fact, tell the same story. And, and surprisingly, you know something I realized today, Dean? You know what I, I realized in the film? The same what did you realize? Plays, the, the same guy that plays Hagrid in, in the Harry Potter films yep. is, is in this film. Did, yep. did you, were you aware of that? I, I had no clue. Robbie Coltrane is the actor. So, so little nuanced things like that. We'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about some of the different roles in it that uh, Johnny Depp had and that Ian Holmes played, and and get into some of the nitty gritty. But before we do that, I, I, do we want to roll Tim's news and, and get through the news yeah. before we open up the phones? Let's do that. Take it away, Tim. Thanks, Greg and Dean. This is Tim Bryce with the Masonic News for the week of March twenty first, two thousand ten. In the news, the Upper Rogue Independent of Shady Cove, Oregon, reports. History was made in Shady Cove on March 7th when members and guests of Cascade Lodge No. 208 celebrated the dedication of their newly purchased lodge. Freemasons from all over Oregon assembled to consecrate the building and to participate in an impressive ceremony of ancient tradition. The Grand Master of Oregon, Art Bush, wearing a top hat, led the ritual before turning the lodge over to Upper Rogue Master Bill Littlefield. After prayers that not only dedicated the building, but dedicated the members' lives to God, an altar in the middle of the room was uncovered. Three candles on it were lit by the Oregon Grand Marshal, Tommy Greer. This was followed by scattering corn, an emblem of nourishment, into a silver chalice on the altar. Wine was then poured on top of the corn as an emblem of refreshment. Finally, a vessel of oil was poured over the corn and wine, symbolizing the pouring of oil over the troubled waters of strife. Standing with their arms traditionally folded across their chests, the Masons reverently took part in the ceremony. After each addition to the altar, the Masons clapped three times three for a total of nine claps. And from time to time during the ritual, with military precision, Masons marched with a quiet dignity around the room. 
After the first part of the ritual, three faded school books were placed on the altar to combat ignorance in the name of Freemasonry, the oldest fraternity in the world. The books signified a support of the public school system in this country. The Masons stand for protection and perpetuity of schools. As well as supporting education as part of a true democracy, the Masons are intensely loyal to their country, said Bush. Using poetic terms, he described America's flag of stars and stripes as sun-kissed and wind-tossed, a red, white, and blue symbol of liberty. At the end of the age-old ceremony, Bush tapped a metal plaque several times with a gavel, proclaiming the lodge to have been properly dedicated. The Patriot Ledger of Hanover, Massachusetts reports, parents can bring their children to the Phoenix Masonic Lodge in Hanover later this month to have personal identification kits created in case a child is ever lost or abducted. The program, called Masonic Youth Childhood Identification Program, is free. Each kit includes fingerprints, tooth impressions, and a video recording of the child. John Bond, a lodge member, said each child stands before a screen with height markings and has asked a few questions while their responses are recorded on video. Bond said a representative from the U.S. Marshal Service will fingerprint the children. Artistic dentistry will handle the tooth impressions. The event will be held during the lodge's open house, scheduled for March 27th. The open house will run from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The identification program will start at 10 a.m. and end at 2 p.m. Tours of the Phoenix Lodge will be offered throughout the day. The lodge is at 133 Broadway in Hanover. And finally, this month, Philanthropic Lodge in Marblehead, Massachusetts will celebrate its sesquicentennial. That's 250 years, my brothers. Congratulations, one and all. Brothers, if you have any Masonic news we can use, please do not hesitate to email it to me at timb001 at phmainstreet.com. Again, that's timb001 at phmainstreet.com. And now back to Greg and Dean. Yep, that's timb001 at phmainstreet.com. What was that? I don't know. I missed something at the end that uh, that Tim added. I was trying to joke, and he beat me. I, I ruined his joke. <laughs> it's a little bit of Ohio silver there. <laughs> I, I, I yes, it. it was. I think it was. I I, I think that uh, he's starting to joke on me now. You know, <laughs> it, it hasn't been the same since Slim there last week. I uh, know. We'll have to we'll have to rework it. We'll have to rework oh. it. So, Dean, I, I understand we have a, a couple of guests on with us. week. So you want to introduce our guests and, and talk a little well, bit about... Me, uh... Let me put it this way. When we announced a few weeks ago that we were doing From Hell and we had to reschedule it at least on one occasion and possibly two occasions, um, we uh, I had some people that were really showing some interest. So I've invited a couple of a couple of our our. Uh, our our fans, our participant, participating fans, on to talk to us tonight about this. Uh, they both are, were uh, were very uh, eager to to uh, discuss this um, this subject. So I'll start with uh, Damien Amblard, mon ami yeah. en de France. Ah, ça va, Monsieur Amblard? <laughs> bonsoir, bonsoir, frère, bonsoir, mes amis. How are you? Good evening, everyone. <laughs> And uh, and you're from you're, you, as everyone guessed you're from France originally, but you're uh, but you're in New York right now. At yeah, University. I, I, I live I live in New York. Yes, that's right. 
And and some of some of our listeners will know you from if they listened live and they they went to some of the after show stuff they they'd know that you used to, you you were a participant there a few times yeah and uh, and that you study some history uh, some uh, revolutionary history at at university taking your uh, PhD correct yes that's right I study at the uh, City University of New York and. Uh, yeah, I've been on a couple of couple of times the show when I was able, and uh, I've been studying uh, uh, Freemasonry as a as a as a scholar first, and uh, and I became a Freemason uh, like uh, last year. Then that's so, cool. That's... Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I decided, hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> if you're studying it, you may as well get in. But yeah, why, but we should not? point out that. You know, you're not a specialist in this movie or this book, but uh, but oh, you're no, very I'm, interested. I'm far from it. Far from it. I'm just uh, I'm just a, a very. I, I was like months months. I mean years ago when this movie came out, and uh, remember that's one of the reasons why I started to become. I mean, I had interest before, but I thought it was just very interesting and. Uh, Particularly, see the representation of Freemasonry, which is something I study, and uh, and the anti-Masonic sentiment, which is the study as a scholar, as a young mm-hmm. apprentice scholar, should I say? Uh, and I thought, like in terms of public history and in terms of uh, um, gen, you know, general representation, it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty great. Um, it's a pretty great example of how rich the literature on Freemasonry in the. Uh, in, how how rich it is. I should before we go too far. I want to introduce my other good friend um, uh, and and fan of the show, and uh, as well, he showed a great interest in this topic, so I wanted to bring him on. And that's Brady McNulty. How you doing? I'm doing great, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Hello, Greg. Good to finally uh, hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Definitely good to have both gentlemen on. I appreciate you coming on. Dean, did you want to? preface a little bit of Brady. I understand you you were telling me that he's a, a tremendous fan and he's been someone waiting for this one for a while, this program. Oh, he's been emailing me for the last three weeks on this show. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and trying to make time because he himself, you know, is a young, uh, has a young family and uh, he studies in university as well. And uh, so we have two, two, um, two, two people joining us tonight that are busy studying and uh, are trying to better the world, I guess you could say, through their studies. And um... well, definitely, brothers, thanks for joining us. And, and Dean, as Dean so eloquently put it, you know, not experts, but but really, in, in the context that I think that we're looking at this, I mean, I think, I mean, we could all sort of say that we're experts in it since we watch the films, have an opinion to them, and uh, and some commentary. I mean, especially being Freemasons, I think we can definitely comment on the aspect of, of Freemasonry as it was represented in the film certainly, and without getting into the nitty-gritty of it, but just as a representation of it and, and some of what that meant to us come into it. Would it be fair to say, Greg, to start this out, that this movie was not done by people who love the fraternity? Uh, you know, yes and no. I, watching it again today, I, I have to say that, that as as clandestine as they made the fraternity seem in the film, they didn't overtly make them appear um, evil. I mean, obviously what they were doing, and I'm not, I don't want to say that, you know, what the what the character of Gull was doing was by any means acceptable, but but I mean, their, their reason for being, in a sense, 
was to prevent the the crown of England from from that uh, from that problem. So so obviously doing bad things, but for a higher power. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, does does does, does no organization or, or anything prohibit any sort of activity like that? Again, not excusing the activity, but just trying to understand the the context in which they did it. Well, let's. Um Let's step back again and let's tell everybody, because uh, not everyone is familiar with From Hell. From Hell is a movie about Jack the Ripper, and uh, and it portrays a Mason in this particular scenario as the as the um, alleged Jack the Ripper in this particular scenario, and they go forward to try to to prove that he, that he you know that prove that theory. That, that this is a person, and so uh, what Greg is trying to allude to is that uh, is that uh, what are you trying to allude to? That it was okay for Jack the Ripper to rip people apart? No, no, yeah, to knife prostitutes in Whitechapel. No, not at all. Wait, I, I mean, obviously, we're not going to. This this isn't a real spoiler. I mean, the movie's been out for a while, so if you haven't seen it at this point, I'm sorry if I'm going to give anything away, but but you can still see it and, and get something from it. Um, but essentially, the, the the nuts and bolts behind the story is that uh, a crown prince of Victoria, if I'm not mistaken, from the Victorian it's, age. Yeah, it's a uh, Prince Albert Victor. Yep. Duke of Clarence David Dale, right? <laughs> and and I, I don't know if if in a bout of of running against the crown or what, but it ends up marrying a, a wretched and downtrodden woman, which is a, another word for a prostitute of off the streets of England and has a child with them he, in, and marries them, not just marries, but marries them in a Catholic church in a Catholic ceremony and then has a child. And, and it, or did it, the child come of, first, Greg? Uh, well, I don't really go into that, but but I, you know, I mean, they, they, in the movie they kind of contextualize it and say that Albert was with her for a few years, so presumptively that that you know the child came after the fact. Um, but but in the story of the film, essentially, that it, it's it's lent the idea that that it's a it's a great impediment on the crown or potentially a, a great impediment on the crown that essentially the child is an heir to the throne, and so it's at the whim of the queen that that the uh, witnesses to the child's birthing um, be eradicated, and and that's really the the mechanics behind it. So so the mechanics for why the murders are set up and then start taking place. But then the the murderer himself, who is given it, William Dull, turns turns the process into this sort of stroke induced hallucination of him connecting with the ancient mystical powers of of England, if you will, of masonry. And well, and then in turn links it to masonry. I mean that that is you know the dime store. Let's retell it. What do you think, uh, Damon Brady? Am I, am I hitting it right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, maybe uh, Brian, is it Brian? Brady. Uh, it's Brady. Brady, Brady. Sorry, Brady. I'm sorry. Our three-year-old was just running through a room. I, I'm dealing with two things at once, and I apologize. I had to put that for a second. No, oh, I mean, no worries, no worries. I, I, if, yeah, I think I mean it's it's right, and the the I mean it's essentially that's that's the story. Um, what what is interesting is that uh, as as you said, the 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 evil power, if you want, uh, is not really in the movie as I think as as well as in the the, the, in the novel. Although we can we can talk about this, but uh, Freemasonry is 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 actually a tool. 
is is a tool, is a means for for the queen to achieve a goal. And this goal is to cover up what happened and to eliminate all the witnesses of that birth, of that uh, heir, which is an an illegitimate child. And this child is, in fact, the heir uh, to the throne of England. So, you know, all the prostitutes were witnesses of this uh, marriage, and they were also witnesses witnesses of the birth of the child and the queen tries to find a way um, the queen and her counselors right uh, trying to find a way to eliminate all the witnesses and thus comes into uh, into uh, you know there's this this kind of you know how they're going to do that so they're going to use a person a person who's a uh, uh, weak apparently or like uh, uh, because he has been he had a stroke and things happened to him and uh, he's been destituted as a as a surgeon because of his stroke, and he's also a prominent mason, and he's also the uh, you know the the personal physician to the queen William Gall, and so they're using him in order to uh, to to do this uh, to do this. Um, again, Freemasonry being here in the background, used as a as a hand, as a as a tool, but also as a network. Uh, of you know all prominent and important men in England, uh, you know as, as, as yes, but in the movie though, wouldn't you say though that they did everything but make the actual knife a, a square and compass? Um, I think to to a certain extent they did, and and that might lend itself to the movie trying to to paint the portrait of of the fraternity as being the villain to it. When when in fact, I just as as Damien said, the the villain was the architects behind the use of the masons for it. So so really, it was the queen and the crown and 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 trying to to prevent. This uh, and, and you had said illegitimate, but I think in, in the film they say that if he was a legitimate because he was married to her. It was a legitimate child, so so I mean it was a big threat to to swaying the country from a from a Protestant Anglican country to a, a Catholic country. It's more than that, though. It's also a little bit about pedigree. Um, you can't have the ruler of the country marrying a prostitute. Um, Oh, absolutely, and, and and then as it turns out in the film that that the the prince had syphilis and was going to die anyway. So so I mean it would have been this really big stain and just this really ugly, ugly, ugly occurrence at the time. And well, so that really did happen, Greg. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm sure. So it, so we I, have to watch. I mean, a lot of the stuff we're talking about we talk about in fiction in a fictitious platform, but really it was all based upon stuff that may or may not have really happened. We don't have the, I mean, the whole that's, that's case. Very and, and, and if, if I may, if I may, Dean, also, we, I think at that point we have to uh, point out that the Jack the Ripper story and Jack the Ripper murder and mystery is one of the most, you know, is, is one of the most, uh, um, you know, kind of debated thing. And it's a, because it's one unsolved mystery and it is, uh, no one really knows what happened is precisely because of this that we have all those theories. And if you Google Jack the Ripper, and if you just go around there and try to find out what, who really Jack the Ripper was, you have a vast array of theories, a vast array of, 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 and, uh, of, of possibilities for, for who... Isn't there might approximately six, Damien? Isn't there about six guys that could have been? I think there's even more than that. And again, the Masonic, the Masonic idea is an old thing. It's a very, very old theory. It's an old theory that 
Masons did it to uh, to promote to promote their interest. And the, the, again, the, the Masons were uh, basically the institutional representatives um, of the gentility and the nobility of, of, of England. So again, it's a very old theory. It's one among others. There is also the theory that William Gull was actually acted alone as a madman. Um, very, very different variations of theories, and there's even more than that. I mean, then you know, then it, it seems to me that they continue trying to revive the different ideas, bringing it about. They most recently in, a, in another History Channel or Discovery Channel television program, they tried to link the killer to to someone here in the states. They actually tried to tie it to somebody from Wild, uh, the Wild West show. Of, uh, yes. Well, of well, he was in England, and he went over. He he escaped right. to there. Uh, there, there, there is a linkage, yeah. So, but, but I think to, just to to his point, in, in what Damien said is that there there are many and a wide variety of different theories that that all tie into it. So contextually, I mean, it's impossible to try to to isolate the conversation to to what the, the real is from the, the fantasy. I mean, really, we're, we're focusing on, on what the film told story-wise, which, which very, I would say very likely is, a, is a, a fiction told in a non-fictional context. So, so taking everything that, that exists in reality and, and sort of merging it into the story. Mm, yeah. And, and that's where we end up with what we have today. Because, I, again, I mean, you can trace it back. And to that point, actually, in the graphic novel, something that, that in referring loosely back here um, to the original authors of it, um, Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell, um, they have a, a chapter at the end of it that goes through page by page and, and detailing the, the specifics to how they built their story around it and, and making reference to all these different ideas and, and Stephen Knight's films and, and all these other different Jack the Ripper ideas that are out there. Yeah. yeah there, there's... I did him saying what specifically was fiction and what he, what he found and then what he thought would make for good story. Right, right, exactly. It was it was how he'd be able to tell the tale. Because I mean, really, at the end of the day, this isn't a this isn't a, a, a collegiate work of literature. I mean, it's a graphic novel. I mean, <laughs> it's it, who's it published through? It's published through uh, Marvel or DC. I'm not sure who. Uh, What's that? I don't know. The, I have the French edition. So it published by Eddie Campbell Comics. So, so I mean, it was published as a as a book itself. I mean, it was put out to be a a, a work of fiction, or as they call it a melodrama in sixteen parts. So, so really, it, it has all these things that are that are sort of woven into it to tell an interesting tale, and and I think that that's important because as Masons, I mean, this is one of the stories that people will bring up when they run into you and talk about it. So, so they'll throw out National Treasure something we've talked about before, and, and then they'll wink you and nudge you and say, oh, it was like from hell, right? And, and you know, it, it's, you sort of get stuck flat-footed about it, uh, especially if you haven't had a, a good uh, viewing of it in, in the context of watching it to be able to separate the two, or even as from the original book to understand what the story was that they were trying to tell behind it. Um, you know, which, yeah, which in I, part of... <laughs> I was going to say, I must admit that when I watched the movie and I had my wife next to me and, and other people, I get a little uncomfortable with some of the imagery that's that's positioned there and, and the linkages because um, we're trained not to question stuff that shows up on TV and film, right? We're trained to think that is the truth, and yet here these people are 
saying this is the this symbolism is Masonic symbolism and they were linked and, and how do you refute that when when Hollywood tells told tells everyone that that, that, that this is the truth. Absolutely. And especially as, as you have every character running around oh sorry. Okay. Brady? I, Go ahead, I Brady. think this is uh, interesting that under the Grand Lodge of England, when they formed, I mean, the first Grand Master, or maybe two if I'm wrong, uh, were, were fairly common folks, but then after that, it's been royalty since. So it establishes that strong line that really plays into the story, whereas you don't see a prince or even the governor of Texas running for Grand Lodge office. Uh, if I may, this is, uh, I, I, would, uh, I would actually defer. Um, the, the, there is a tradition since the foundation, actually the third, I'm correct, third or fourth Grand Master of the Grand Lodge, United Grand Lodge of England, always has been members of the royal family. It's, be, it's been a constant thing. It's a, it's a unique thing uh, in England. Uh, it doesn't happen always, but it doesn't happen certainly in France because they're elected, although that was the case. I mean, at the beginning uh, of the history of the craft, uh, Grand Masters were not elected in a, elected in a democratic way. They were nominated, and they remain grandmasters at vitam eternam. So um, in England, the the crown has been always very, very, very much linked to the organization of the hierarchy of the uh, of, of English Freemasonry, and maybe that is also a reason why um, there is a uh, there is a, a, a you know some suspicion and some idea that oh wait a minute maybe they are using those guys in order to serve their own interests, but it is it is something that is uh, um, was was uh, was true since the very foundation of in the 18th century the foundation of uh, of the United Grand Lodge of well first the Grand Lodge of England and then in 1813 the United Grand Lodge of England. Right. Um, and you should know also in in, in other parts of the world uh, there's still the royalty that that is the head of the Masonic body. Uh, so if you go to different true. continents. It's true you in Scotland. What's that? It's true in Scotland. In Scotland, it's still, uh, it's still, uh, they, are, they are still part of the, the, the grandmaster is not the member of the royal family, but the 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 heir to the throne, which is Lord Elgin, they're very high up in the hierarchy of the granddaughters of England, and they're they always will be. It seems to be a, a constant thing. And and in other countries, um, such as in different um i think there was someone that did a story on it the other day about um in gabon and things like that where where it's usually the king or chief of a tribe who is the head of the masonic grand lodge of that area or in i'm not sure about asia but but in various places it's still the way so uh but yeah in england i mean um the the united grand lodge of england the the Heads off for I, I don't I can't say for you can say for much more certainty than I can but it's been royalty's been connected to the head of the Grand Lodge for since, yeah since since, since early on but but in the let's I mean just in in a in a um, in as as a historical um, view I mean just as a background we have to remember that um, in the Victorian age. And this is really the you know the really the the, the apex of the empire the the, the British Empire uh, and the at the you know at the end of the 19th century. Uh, well, Freemasonry was still a was a an element a form of sociability 
of the aristocracy and the higher classes. And so it was not something that, um, you know, it's not something just to be, don't have to be shocked by, oh my God, they're just like, you know, powerful white rich men who just use this in order to promote their interests. That was the way it was. I mean, Freemasons in England, um, first and foremost, was always very close to the power. It was always supporting the king or the queen and always supporting the religion in place. That's something that existed since the foundation of the, of the Grand Lodge of England. And, and so, you know, and, and even in America, although, you know, it's, it's another, it's another story, but there's, there's always has been this, especially at the end of the 19th century, a link between Freemasonry and in its, in its organization, in the form of sociability that it provides, uh, a form of expression and the form of, you know, the place of sociability for the elites of the country. Although, in, again, although in America it might be different and then become something for the middle classes, especially early in the, in the 20th century, in England it always has been something for, for, for the elite and then it became more, you know, democratic. Um, so, so Damien, just to catch you because I, I hear you, um, but to, to pull that back around to the movie From Hell, and I have a few people on the board asking if from hell based on real fact um it's based on a scenario of real fact um and a lot of um uh and so what this is all tending to say is yes freemasonry was in a way controlled by the royals to some degree so that part of the plot is is um feasible right that's what we're well, it, it was not i i guess maybe the word control is a little uh too strong. Yeah, well, influence, and I think it was a two-way street. I mean, it was a two-way road that Freemasonry was influenced by the power, and Freemasonry also was in the circles of the power because, again, because because the nobility and the elites were part of it. Uh, so, but to, just to for for the movie, and I think or that novel, uh, why this novel is so very fascinating and creates this very, you know, kind of uh, very, very complex um, um, series of myths and reactions and kind of excites the, uh, the, the, the imagination because it is based on true facts. It's a, it's, a, it's a series of true facts that, again, history hasn't solved, that there are no evidence, apparently, all, all the guys that are trying to find, you know, the Every other year, there's a book, oh, the, the final truth about Jack the Ripper, like, you know, like a Era 51 or a murder of whatever, or JFK. I mean, there's always people try to reveal secrets about things that can be not proven. But uh, there, there's this, um, since it's based on a, on a, on, on, on a historical event that's uh, fundamentally very hard to prove, and also that masonry is this, um, institution and this organization that's surrounded with mystery, that's surrounded with secrets, surrounded with myths. So those two things collide, go together, and that's why I think this thing is so successful as a novel. It's great because it's it's so fascinating because it creates myths. It uses two things with myths, right? High power, the 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 the, the royalty and all these people. We imagine they have they have secrets, they have mysteries, and they use another organization also with myths. And the two things go together in one man, right? In in Jack the Ripper, it's like I think that's why it works so well. 
Um, Greg, you there? I'm, yeah, I'm, I thought was I was hearing your breath, thinking you were going to go somewhere profound with it. I, I oh I well. Uh, go ahead. I was just <laughs> going to say I, I didn't know if we were. Uh, Greg, are you letting me talk, or am I going to let you talk? No, go ahead, man. Go ahead. You sure? <laughs> I'm, or am I going to have to get out my Jack the Ripper uh, uh, membership no. kit? <laughs> Don't make me edit this part out. <laughs> Go ahead, Dean, before you lose track of what you're going to say. I already did. Seriously, I did. I lost track. <laughs> well, all right, then I'll pick it up, and maybe the thought will come back to you, just as, as just like Jack the Ripper in the night. Um, the, what I was going to say is, is, to your point, David, that, that I, I think you're right, though, in just flipping back to the graphic novel now and, and reflecting on the film, um, they, there, there was more, almost a, a preternatural aspect of, of this Jack the Ripper. I mean, obviously they had the, the, the reality of it, but, but something that I noticed in a, in a very cinematic way was that as the two characters interacted, so, so as the detective um, interacted in the case to, to, to look at it, Abilene, and, and seeing these visions, and, and also as Jack the Ripper and as Gull uh, committed the murders. They, there was a lot of this sort of transcendental um, shifting that was going on. A lot of a lot of it drug induced, obviously, as, as they're taking opium and, and drinking it with absinthe. But it, it really seemed to sort of pick up tones from the graphic novel of of this sort of otherworldliness to it. Of of this, and I'll say the word that Dean hates so much, but of like this mysticism behind it which the graphic novel really went into deeply uh, that the movie just seemed to skirt over. And I'm curious if you think any of that played into to any of the, the interest to the film, or, or do you think was that the it was mysticism in the, the... Was the mysticism in the opium den? Um, well, in part, <laughs> at times. And, and it, was, it was the fact that, that every time that, that they would go out, I mean, in one scene, in fact, they, they showed Gull... Um, with the with laudanum and, and loading himself up to go out and do his thing and, and same with Johnny Depp's character Evelyn that, that you know as he would sit at his bath making his drink um, would would slip into the drug induced haze but but I noticed that it was always in periods in the film and, and this is where you have to sort of compare the two that it was always in a period right before these murders and so as Johnny Depp's character would see the murders taking place. That, that it would be tied with Gull's character, you know, slipping into this this other realm, this fourth dimension of, of being able to see it. And and again, I mean, this is getting pretty abstract in, in the sense of you know the real film of this hack and slash. But but I think that that's a lot of what the original authors. That's what I, I want to suggest that that Moore had behind it when he wrote the book. That it wasn't just you know the story of Jack the Ripper, but it was really some of the maybe more spiritual ramifications of Jack, Jack the Ripper and what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some talk on, uh, on our live chat board here about, about the writings, the scrawlings on the wall. Do you remember that part where there was um, several uh, yes. words written on the wall? <laughs> I do. Yeah, the, the, Jews are, the Jews are the men who will not be blamed for nothing. I think it's something like that. Right. The 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 writing, right? The yeah. 
Yeah. Brady, did you have something you want? Brady said, it sounded like Brady had something he wanted to say about this. Well, I just thought that, uh, as David pointed out earlier, this is one of the great unsolved mysteries, but part of the reason is, is there was no consistent evidence that historians could look at because some people think that the writing was fake, others say that the writing wasn't taken down properly. You know, it's it's so hard to tell what was staged and why. Uh, it's hard to determine what's accurate. Yeah. True. I would agree. So, I would agree. Yeah. And uh, and in my former life when I lived there I didn't take notes, so I can't really recall. So <laughs> but, but, but you know I mean it's go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, Brady, I think you're right, and it's so very hard to know what's accurate. Again, that's the job of the historian to to uh, to find what's accurate and what's not. Uh, in the case of Jack the Ripper, again, I haven't, and this is like a job of a life or a lifetime, really, to try to find out what's going on there. But uh, historians seem to have had issues and problems for some reason uh, to establish to really find more than we, what we already know. So there are police reports. There are the autopsies, the uh, uh, you know the, all the reports that that of the of the contemporary people out there, but th- there seems to have some elements missing, and those elements missing, well, just fill in the blanks with with whatever you can come up, and and there's always when whenever we don't know, just why not? Oh, that's the Masons, or when we don't know, oh well, well that's the Jesuits, or that's the conspiracy. It's it's always a, me- a mechanism for it's it's a very very typical mechanism for conspiracy theories. When there is a story, uh, a very shocking story, or something that sounds significant, and when there are missing parts, and and that's why the conspiracy theories happen. That's why we say, oh, maybe those words were not written by someone; they were added later, or they were mis misspelled, or and and again, that would be the job of the historian. But I'm not able to know or say why. Uh, there has been no, you know, uh, um, satisfactory conclusions reached uh, on, on what we know, um, based on what we know. And maybe there are some records hidden. Maybe there were some records destroyed. Maybe those records don't exist. Uh, well, the government, I mean, the British government in those years was not a democratic government or very, very, I mean, not completely democratic. So, you know, I mean, their police was completely uh, servile to the power. So maybe some things were hidden or missed or lost or destroyed, but again, it's very hard to say. Very, very hard you also have to remember, you also have to remember during that period, this was very sensational. This is like, this is like bigger than O.J. Simpson case. True. So you had every, every reporter out there trying to find a story and making up stuff just to make, sell newspapers and there was different takes on everything and 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 so there's a big mess in the press about what's going on and, and as well um people talking and 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 rumor mills that 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 change things i mean um you just had no idea what was going on you can only imagine well, they didn't have telephone did they have telephones yet they didn't have telephones yet did they i think so. so i don't i don't believe so nope they were still by gaslight yeah. so um so you can just imagine the, the 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 difference between truth and 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 myth was the difference of um, yeah yeah it, you you never so, knew you don't know you can't it's hard to separate the two. 
So, so do you think that that's important? Is that is that what makes the film important? The the truth or fiction, or, or can you take it strictly as the story itself? Or or do you have to watch the movie in consideration of what the the actual history's been? Well, they don't present some of the things accurately. Uh, of course, being a work of fiction. But for example, the movie is called From Hell, and the the From Hell letter from which the movie takes its title is thought to be a fake. One yes. of several that was received. Yes, there you go. Yes. There, there, there are some true elements and the names of the prostitutes, the number of prostitutes, the injuries, the name of the inspector, of course, the fact that, uh, in fact, as you said, I think earlier, Brady, the, 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 the prince, in fact, had syphilis, um, name of, uh, of William Gull. All these guys are true, but, uh, are real, but again, um, how do you, <laughs> I mean, it's, you, you can, you can make a lot of very, weird stuff with actually uh, true elements and, and real elements. I don't know. I mean, does that well, matter or not? It depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for historical accuracy, it's not. If you're looking for a great novel and a great story and something fascinating and, again, exciting the mind, I think it's wonderful. Well, one thing that I found very uncomfortable with this movie, uh, and Greg, I'm jumping in, baby, paratrooping in, but I still have to watch myself <laughs> a little bit. There's landmines all over this one, and, uh, and and I just want everyone to be careful. It sounds like I'm floating around in, in a pool of sharks. I'm heading there. Um, the, you mentioned about the deaths and, and the position, uh, the, the, the injuries. Um, I'm curious if they can actually legitimate, legitimately document those um, um, uh, being in the movie, they try to connect it to the position of certain penalties uh, talked about in in our ritual, and I want to know how close in rea- in in honest in 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 truth that was. Oh. <laughs> and the room goes silent. Several of the oh, go ahead, Brady. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't say anything. I'm still trying to find out because I thought that he killed more than just the three prostitutes. And if so, uh, how would he decide how to? Like, it sounds terrible, but how would he decide to divvy out his particular brand of punishment? Yeah. Well, there's a thing, right? How many were there? I mean, uh, there, there were there were five prostitutes, if I'm correct, right? Let me see. I have the movie here. There were five. There were five. At the end, of, or murdered at five. That was my count. Isn't that right, Dean? Five. I don't think it was six. Yeah. That was terrible. It's, it's I think in actuality, it was five. And in, in what happened, and didn't I think as, as facts have come out from it, there's a, a six who who didn't die, as stories have been retold. So right. I could be wrong. So. But, uh, but I think that. For the penalties, yeah. For the penalties, I mean, there's a there's a couple of um, you know elements that, of course, when you when you when you look at what they say and uh, and then uh, especially the last scene, right, when when Johnny Depp goes there uh, to see William Gull and says, well, they came to you as a faithful mason, right, and they uh, and then the those guys who killed Iron Abyss. and Jubello, 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 they all were Jews, and that's why you wrote this on the wall, and they. You know, it, it's linked to some elements of the uh, of the traditional Masonic ritual and traditional Masonic stories. And with the penalties, yeah, some of them are disemboweled and some of them are 
well, they throw this cut, it's, you know, it's lit and things, but I don't think that, I mean, you don't need to be a mason to disembowel something or someone, right? Um, well, and, and the film, though, but the film itself really makes that point. I mean, it, it, just having watched it today, I mean, from that point, once the writing's on the wall, Johnny Depp and, and his research, as Abilene goes to the library and pulls, you know, a, a dictionary down or an encyclopedia, a Masonic encyclopedia, and, and flips through it and reads through all these different things, getting the the, the names of, of the Jews and and then that's what he uses to confront the uh, the the villain with. And so I mean it, it's at that point that it's impossible to separate masonry out in the film because the the lead character has already made the connection and tied the two together. But but I think and, and furthermore it wasn't just the injuries. Um, and and later on if you go to the DVD, if you go to some of the bonus material on the DVD. They specifically go right into the position of the arms and hands as well of the victims, and they talk about that as well. Um, I can't remember if it was stated in the movie or if it was later on in some of the extra footage. I I bought the movie so I could go through the extra footage. And there's also, as well, a a hidden Easter egg on the DVD uh, just to make sure that you know where these movies where this movie uh, crew is coming from. They put a Stephen Knight documentary in there as an Easter egg so that if you're really good, you can learn even more bad things about us. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's it's precisely the the point of what, you know, like of mixing reality, myth, uh, his, uh, Masonic history, Masonic ritual. You know, the craft itself, Freemasonry itself, is born... And the way the history of the story, of, of of the craft was told, it it's told as a myth. I mean, no one truly understood. I mean, unless you really have smoked something, you know, smoked something that's very strong. But do you believe that you know Adam was the first Masonic Grandmaster, and then the whole story of of Iron Abyss is true, and the and the entire you know, and then the escape to Scotland and la la la. All this is myth. It's a, it's a it's a it's a construction. It's a historical construction that was put together by Anderson and and uh, Jean Théophile Desaguliers, the French pastor who went to live in England and when they wrote the Constitution. So the history of the craft itself is a bunch of myths. It's a bunch of stories, and 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 that's why it's it's very um, attractive to 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 the mind. It's very attractive to people who want to make stories out of it because well after all. You know the story of the real, you know, Masonic story and the way our, our our rituals are designed. It's based on myth. It's based on myth and on on complete uh, constructions and inventions. Um, so I think in this in this mo- in this book and in the movie also, what they do is they just use this material uh, in order to make something even more even more interesting. The myth of of of, uh, of this guy of Jack the Ripper. It's interesting you talk about it being myth like that. I, I just read something else that was was a, a, a debunking, if you will, of of something else that's for the longest time been considered a myth, and it went through the the process of of the history behind it, the the facts and the reality of the things that could be checked, and and it totally it totally erases what the previous myth existed as, and and I wonder if if that devalues the myth or or how we as passive onlookers should evaluate what that myth is um, to what the reality is. 
Because, I mean, you know, you, you present enough facts and you could change our opinion from something that we once believed to something that we no longer believe, and vice versa. If, even, even if looking at the facts, as you said a little bit ago, if, if the facts don't tell enough of the story, we can then in our own heads start to make up the meanings to it or, or the feature Correct. ramifications. And so, we're really good so at that like, as humans, by the way. Well, I think because we need we need closure to stories, or we need in our own heads the ability to to encapsulate it and tell it, versus you know not being able to. And that's why I think you know films, in particular films and books, though, um, are such a draw because I mean this is the modern day theater that this is the way that we retell these stories and we'll always retell. And that's why forever Freemasonry will be tied to national treasure, no matter how many times we say no, we don't have a treasure in the basement somewhere. You know, it, it's we just don't? that the, the film <laughs> it's just that the film exists to tell us otherwise because that's the that's the story. And and you know, and again it made me wonder is is it okay that the myth exists and, and at what point is it is it gone too far that the myth um the myth is leading and in, in, in totally disregards whatever the facts are. You know, and you might have a commentary to that, Damien, in, in the sense of, of coming at it from a from a, a scholastic or, or an academic point of view, uh, especially as a historian. I, I don't know if we mentioned in, in, in working on the PhD, in working on, on something like this, at what point do you have to just throw in that, that the, the greater belief is this, but the truth pans out this way? Here are the facts, yeah, but here's what the beliefs are, and somewhere in between is, is really what happened. It's, you know, it's the three sides to a story. Yeah, well, as I work on, on anti-masonry and, and uh, again on the early constructions of conspiracy theories, what matters are not really facts. What matters are the construction of these facts and how these facts or what is believed, what are believed to be facts, uh, are are put together in a coherent stories to explain everything. That's the that's the traditional mechanism of a of, of a conspiracy theory, uh, and they they you know, to kind of make a long story short, right? But, um, for instance, you know, the, the guy who put together and synthesized, he didn't invent it, but he put together and synthesized the, the, the conspiracy theory about, you know, Freemasonry created the French Revolution, right? And did the French Revolution in order to uh, destroy the Catholic Church and the monarchies of Europe. Uh, well, you already spoke about this, that behind the lodges, is called that the back lodges, right? The, 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 in the back lodges, in the chapters, in the, in the where they are the higher degrees, um, well, these guys, you know, do things that even masons, even regular masons, ignore. And so it's it's always an idea of uh, again, like masonry is a tool, masonry is a place where where uh, that we know nothing about, and even masons know nothing about it. Um, it's it's a place for for some men, for you know, so that some men can achieve their uh, their, their, their own goals, but in, in the process, in anti-masonry, there's always this collusion of myth and reality, and the myth is always stronger because it cannot be verified, and it cannot be it cannot be accurately, as we as we as we said before, right? Be proved. You cannot prove it uh, because you know can you can you prove the existence of God or can you prove disprove the existence of God? No, there's no way. And the same thing with, uh, with 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 masonry, right? Because since there are secrets, since, since it's a uh, it's a, it's a closed society, and it's surrounded with myth and secret and secrecy, well, it generates 
um, fantasy. And, uh, and it, it's used by enemies of Freemasonry to, to demonstrate, look, they have something to hide. Secrecy really is the, is, is the problem of, uh, uh, is really the, the, the core of any anti-Masonic discourse and any, anti, any anti-Masonic uh, um, theory. Uh, so really, this 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 myth has been I mean the the, the myth has been used really throughout history, uh, and uh, and the, the obsession with anti-Masonic intellectuals and anti-Masonic activists was to debunk and 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 try to find the truth, find out the truth. For instance, uh, during the Second World War in France, um, and it was the only way, the only the only time it was done when when the Germans, the Nazis came and invaded France. First thing they did after they came to the uh, Ministry of the Interior and all that, they went to the to the Grand Lodge of, of, of France. They occupied it, and they then the, the French government that was collaborating did a huge exhibition to try to show, and it was fantastically popular. People just went there to see the Grand Temple and see how those weird masons did things to you know goats and uh, and uh, you know all kinds of nonsense. Uh, this obsession with 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 those anti-Masonic people, you know, to try to demonstrate, well, they have something to hide, and our responsibility is to show what they really hide. And so maybe in a way, although again, it's a, it's a, it's a novel and it's a it's a it's a it's a fiction uh, enterprise. This fiction, um, you know, uses this, and this fiction really elaborates on it, and and in a way adds to it. It adds to this to this uh, to this element of fantasy, I think. for a movie about uh, the Morgan affair, because I mean, you know, whereas Jack the Ripper, there's a lot of question and a lot of mystery. With the Morgan affair, I mean, that was there was furor there. Mm-hmm. True. That's a that's a um, it's, it's it's an interesting point actually. To for those that may not have heard, I, because you're actually hard to hear, Brady. So I would suggest um, if you can just enunciate and speak up louder. Um, but a movie on the Morgan affair. I wonder if if uh, if a true telling of that were were portrayed in film, um, what that would look like or what that would do for for the fraternity. Also, I, I think it would be a it would be a, a detrimental film. Um, a horrible film to to be made because of it would be a, a total bad PR. But but at the same time, I mean, it's a, a retelling of history. So so again, I think we're we're back to the dilemma of of what the facts are, how the facts have been interpreted, and then how they're told. So depending upon whose hands they fall into. And and oh, I yeah, wonder I, that I agree. The, It'd be a terrible idea. <laughs> that that leads to the question though, and, and David, to your point with the facts in in the sense of of how they're told. In your studies, have you found that that the the outlook of the facts have changed? That, that oh, if the of, facts what, were of what perhaps, particular of what particular facts? Um, well, just in general, just as a as a in a ballpark sense, have you found instances in the past where where ideas of particular facts, um, in this case, secret societies, fraternities, if they've changed? So so where there may yeah. have been a negative uh, opinion well, that, that over time there's a positive opinion. Well, to start with the Morgan affair, for instance, I mean now historians only only Masonic historians or historians that are Masons and are they wanna they wanna say how great we are and try to find those things in our history. Um, only them actually believe that Morgan was not murdered. Now historians have proven it really is almost 
demonstrated that Morgan was killed. And he was not killed before just the fact that he he uh, he he published this you know the the ritual. He was killed for you know I read the minutes of the of the lodge and I think I think Stephen Defoe came on the show and we read basically the same evidence. We all you know kind of were <laughs> spending days and days at the Livingston Library here in New York and I read the minutes of the lodge. Those guys were like rugged individuals and they had like little petty disagreements about money about women. And things like that, and the guy was probably killed for a money issue or something like that. But they used it as a uh, so yes, Morgan was. It, it really is very, very likely and probable that Morgan was killed. Um, in terms, in terms of the opposite now, in terms of positive, um, I think that nowadays people are, you know, there's still some anti, there's a lot of anti-Masonic sentiment. Uh, nevertheless. As Freemasonry opens up, especially in Europe, it was very secretive, more secretive in Europe than it is here. Um, you know, people seem to, well, maybe those guys are harmless. And the book of, I mean, the last, the, uh, you know, Dan Brown's book kind of was, uh, you know, was very apologetic to, to, to the craft in a way. But um, I don't. I don't think really. You know, those those stories have really. They die hard, and they those myths and those. It's very hard to. Again, it's very very hard to disprove a myth. There is no way to disprove a myth, and that's why they 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 live on. They live on forever. I think. Dean, what do you think um, about that? Are any any myths that, that that you've had that have changed like that? I, I, you know, especially in, in context of this film. What do you think? Do you think that it's a uh a bad myth that that will be able to change the Morgan affair. No Morgan affair or Jack the Ripper or any of these different ideas that we're talking about. I, I, I think the public, the public sentiment is pushing in a different direction. And, uh, and I just don't think that we have the social leverage to be able to change that and just live with it and enjoy it. What's that? In the era I think that in the era of Wikipedia and just the, the Internet and everybody having access to so much information, it's a more reasonable approach now because in the 80s, if there was a TV special that said, guess what, the Masons killed these people, well, it was the 80s. They, what were, they couldn't go on CompuServe. And so today, people have the right to read things so that, uh, for example, King Tut is no longer believed to have been murdered by some scientists just based on new analyses they've done of the body. I mean – Things change as we have different ways of looking at them, and people are willing to change their ideas. Um, yeah. And what was I? I there was something I, else I was going to mention. I was going to mention the, the Stephen. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. I was going to say um, the Stephen Knight thing. Even he, um, or even the, after the show, when you're looking at the footage um, from from Hell. From from hell, there's a double for you. Um, <laughs> that uh, that they don't even believe that it was just the one doctor operating on his own. They felt that it was a, a group of masons. So so they're not even really supporting the theses they present in the movie 100%. They're saying no no no. It was that was great for the movie, but in reality, it was actually a group of Masons that went around and performed this, and it could never have been one man. So, so as you go through, and uh, just turning back to the From Hell theme, um, 
even when you present one theory, another one crops up, and the very people that made the movie are then so, are then get second guessing the theory they present in the movie with another theory, and take you right to their graves of the people that actually did they believe did it. So, so uh, that happened. If you look at the all, if you're like me and you buy the DVDs with the extra footage and things, that's what I learned. <laughs> again, the, the, I think it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting to try to find out the truth. But again, with the elements we have, unless you devote your entire life to study this uh, this story, you you will not be able to de- to demonstrate. And I think maybe it's a mistake to try to um, to prove a a fiction a fictional story true, and to 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 try to mix. Uh, uh, to to you know it, it is a fiction period and and even though it takes place in, in a in a historical uh, period and it, it's a historical novel so it takes place somewhere that really happened I mean Queen Victoria existed etc um, you know it as you said earlier I mean we didn't develop that I think it's a shame but the novel really explore goes very deep into black magic and esotericism and mysticism and all these things and. At the end of the 19th century, the boundaries between reality and science and 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 pseudoscience and all these things were very, uh, you know, the, the the boundaries were not clear. Everything was kind of overlapping. So it, it, it you know, there was there was a context of uh, of of uh, um, you know, uh, kind of weird esoteric. Uh, I mean, you know, we are really at the where where science becomes to affirm itself as. A, as, 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 the, as the truth is that the only uh, explanation for the whatever the evolution of the world or anything, but there was still some very strong appeal for black magic, for all kinds of uh, you know people smoking and people trying to you know uh, try to, to to find to find truth and enlightenment through other channels. Which I think is is why masonry at the time flourished so. And and I, I wanted to touch on it a, a little bit earlier, and, and we talked about it, and, and then moved right by it. But that's something that the graphic novel seems to lean on heavily is is that sort of spiritual or, or occultic aspect of it, um, especially behind the murders themselves. That that the the, the work of Gull, albeit of a madman, was sort of this induced. Um, third, second sight of, of the reason behind what he was doing. So again, this, this is still in the fictionalization of it. So we're talking about the story, not the reality of it, but the fictionalization of it in, in the sense of why Gull did it. Now, in, in tying it back to, to pagan London and, and pagan England and you know the, the aspects of, the, of monotheism and, and the obelisk, Cleopatra's Needle, and, and all these other things that, that they weave so well into the graphic novel that something the movie doesn't capitalize on at all upon in, in, in the sense that in the graphic novel they have these flashes that, that Gull has of, of future forward or of, of these, you know, these driving angelic or, or demonic forces behind them. And, and I mean, they kind of get into that a little bit in the movie, where you know uh, the gull's eyes turn black because he's talking about it. But in, in the graphic novel, those things are, are much more aspects of the story rather than it being just this crazy guy who kills prostitutes. Well, that sort of his yeah. his reason for being in this is is because he's motivated by this higher power. 
Yeah, well, one simple thing, maybe the, the book is, you know, we have to just admit that the book is much better than the novel, and the novel is a Hollywood production, and the book is a, is a Hollywood production, and, um, and there's this, you know, law story going on, and, uh, you know, the, the, the novel is so much, so much darker and, and, and very occult and, and gloom, and, and it's, it's so, it's disturbing, actually, when you read it. The, the movie is, is okay, I mean, it's fine, it also has a, degree of this, you know, of being disturbing and a little dark and all this, but not as much as the novel, certainly not. And I think there was but a choice, it was a production choice to just replace the black magic and the old nastiness, and you have a lot of very weird, nasty nudity in the novel. It doesn't happen, doesn't take place in the, in the, in the, in the movie. Uh, the right. Movie I, think that more... I, I think that they lean much more on masonry to, to be the sort of villain behind it. So, so the, the bigger... The bigger mechanism, the tool, as you said earlier at the beginning of the show, behind yeah. the, the orchestration of what happens. Absolutely. Now, the only, Absolutely. the only saving grace, Craig, I'm going to say that they give to Masonry is at the end of the movie when they um, – because I did see that um, – I guess reading the book, you see it a lot heavier. But in the movie, they do reflect that he has this other force that's driving him, and he becomes – he feels he becomes better than his other brethren in the fraternity. And and then in the end, at the end of the movie, he is then held accountable, and and the lodge deems justice on him, back back onto him, and and deems him unworthy of of their of their company. So he, so the lodge itself rang ju- rang justice out onto the murderer, although not publicly, but in their own their own um, ranks, they took care of him. So to speak. They, Do you remember they that part? Did. They, or did yeah, you not get to that part? No, no, I did. They, they definitely, uh, they definitely did turn him off, if you will. If you were a machine at the beginning that they turned on, they, they certainly did turn him off by lobotomizing him at the end. Yeah. Which was the same fate that they gave to the um, the wife of the prince, too. The right. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. At one point, there's uh, one is uh, one is uh, judged, or uh, I think is that the one is trial. In the, I don't know if it's during the trial or before when he talks to Johnny Depp when he says, "You know, the great architect speaks to me." Is this this thing that he is he is empowered by the great architect himself, and that is not a <laughs> it doesn't seem really a masonic a masonic thing. It, it really is much more black magic. And an occult thing, it's very, uh, you know, this thing of a guy having some form of connection with some higher power that's dark and that's hidden. And that's, you know, you have to go through weird rituals in order to, uh, to, to, to be connected with that, with, that, with that power. This is, again, something that is very, um, I would say this is, you know, the, the occult maybe um, um, aspect of of, uh, of of the of, of, of Masonic mythology, and and there's a there's actually a, a book that came out uh, lately, and I I'm saying this because I was hosting a conference two days ago actually with Robert L D Cooper, maybe you know him, is a is a, mm-hmm. a writer and is the curator of, of Wayne Lost in Scotland, and he was here in New York and he gave a talk, and uh, and he, he wrote a book, he co-authored a book with someone else, I forgot the name, it's it's called The Masonic Magician. And it's about uh, Cagliostro and um, and yeah. how mm, Freemasonry and magic in the early days 
were very close. They were very close, and uh, and people used and masonry and Freemasonry also as a way to explore those things that were prohibited in the society. Again, Freemasonry was a space for people to debate and talk about things and explore things that maybe were hidden, uh, were sorry, prohibited other, uh, uh, otherwise. So there is, uh, in, in the early times of Freemasonry, there's, there's, I think undoubtedly there's a, a strong element of occultism and mysticism and esotericism and maybe some people also um, I mean, you know, hermeticism and magic played a big role in the in the uh, in the construction of uh, of Masonic rituals and Masonic mythology. And so we we always like to forget this because it seems weird. And it's like, but yeah, well, our tradition, intellectual and esoteric tradition, comes from you know things that comes from the sort of the, the Middle Ages and medieval tradition of hermeticism and uh, and magic. See, there was a quote that I picked up the other night, and, and it, I think it was Asimov. Is it Asimov that, that any technology not understood is, is considered as magic? And it seems fitting to, to what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it, you know, just think about one thing, right? We, 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 light, we light candles, we shut them off. I mean, what's going on when you do that, right? We speak about the sun, about the moon. Uh, all these kind of, I mean, the sun and the moon are ancient, uh, are ancient, you know, uh, forms of uh, uh, of religiosity, and they are used in ancient cultures in paganism as as sources of power, as sources of inspiration, as sources of uh, of enlightenment. And we, you know, Freemasonry is again, uh, to repeat myself, but this is this, uh, you know, uh, collusion and conglomerate of a lot of different traditions. And it's not just the tradition of the Enlightenment and, you know, of reason and science and democracy. This is wrong. This is just what we would like it to be because it's fun and because it seems enlightened and beautiful and, and, and you know, and liberal and progressive. But it also is this need for some people to, you know, to kind of uh, have a link with their spirituality on the, on the margin of, of official religion. And, and, and the lodges were this place where you could be, you could explore esotericism, uh, especially in ancient rituals. I mean, if you take a ritual in Europe like a, the, strict, the strict observance, uh, the, the Templar strict observance, this, this ritual is weird. And it's very weird and it's very, you know, um, I think, um, influenced by those ancient intellectual uh, traditions coming down from the Middle Ages. Very true. Very true. Just to just to correct myself for the self-censure, uh, the uh, the quote actually is Arthur C. Clarke's, and it and it's under his third law of uh, prediction that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and and that's the that's the the direct quote. Um, but but to your point, I, I think you're, you're very right. In the movie itself, they in the book they try to build on those ideas. They they try to show these sort of fantastical things that that. To the viewers today, it may not necessarily be fantastical, but but in this Victorian gaslight era, the aspect of the lobotomies, the the elephant man who factors into the movie, um, the, these were new technologies then, or or even if not new technologies, these were um, just becoming uh, more the vogue of, of study and, and exploration. You know, and in the film, they have quick cut scenes to show these 
antiquated pictures in Gull's home of, of these yeah. uh, past, uh, I won't call them freaks, but, but these people who had, you know, gross deformities and, and these gross deformity um, autopsies that were being conducted by probably Renaissance figures in the paintings. Um, so, so they tried to build on that. They tried to build that this was a fantastical age of, of, of this re-enlightenment, this rediscovery of, of these things that perhaps were in the past, but, but that were brand new to science. You know, how do you quell somebody I mean, who has storms of the head? You lobotomize them. The, the end of the 19th century is this age of, of industrialism and of, you know, uh, technology evolves very fast. And, and, and again, I think, I mean, there's, I think, you know, the famous quote that, you know, it says, I think, in the, uh, uh, at the beginning of the movie that says, you know, people will remember, or something like that, right? People will remember that I gave birth to the 20th century. Uh, not himself, yeah. of course, Jack the Ripper didn't give birth to the 20th century, but maybe all the myths surrounding him and all the nonsense going on in the story and the, the conflict the between questioning. science. Yeah, yeah, the right. questioning, the, the constant questioning. I think that that's probably where it's at. And 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 even if it came from from a fraudster trying to to just capitalize on the sensationalism of the letters, I, it really it, it's still it, it to this day. And, and who knows? They had no idea of the future for it, but but it still seems to capture the uh, the interest of some to make movies and talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's a transition period. So. I, yeah. What else, Dean? Did you find anything else on the on the on the second disc for the one that you have? Is there any other any other exciting Easter eggs or, or goodies on there? Well, I mean, they have the the, the again the Stephen Knight documentary. They have the uh, the walk through. Um, that's all I can remember right now. Um, but do they uh, have anything specifically Masonic? Like uh, you know, they're, they're oh yeah, they go right into it. Oh yes, they go right into it. Uh, when you have Stephen Knight in there, yeah, they definitely go very deep into it. If if anyone has a, some extra extra dollars, I would recommend um, just out of pure interest for one e- for uh, one or two evenings because the movie itself took you one evening um, to 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 get this DVD though because uh, the extra content is worth it uh, for a little bit of money. Don't go blowing too much money, but a little bit of money on it. And then uh, research online um, East, uh, from hell Easter egg to get the, how do you get out that extra Stephen uh, Knight documentary. It's quite lengthy. It's a full documentary. And uh, it is worth uh, um, just having the DVDs there. Or you can get it from the library, I suppose, or borrow it. But uh, um, anyone in the Halifax area can contact me and I'll lend them my copy for five bucks. <laughs> for for, for instance, joke. I I remember that the one of the scenes that was the most uh, fascinating and striking to me as when when I you know as a non-Mason when I was a non-Mason was was of course the initiation. I mean the initiation scene is just so incredible, <laughs> it's so fun. I mean you know the guy comes like he, he has to walk down a you know like a tunnel and almost like going down the sewers and there's. You know this locked door with a, with a Tyler outside, and you know has the tugs, and then gets in, in this magnificent room that's hidden. The guy in the middle, you know, the whole thing is round, and and he takes when he takes the obligation with the sword on his chest, and that I thought it was, you know, that scene is so incredibly, um, so incredibly powerful. I think, although it's of course it's. And then they have the guys looking at you, watching it from up above, talking while it's all going on, looking down at them. That's right. Gallery, yep. 
in the, the gallery above. And, and seeing that 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 particular scene, I mean, that, that's I, not to say that it would set anybody's mind uh, ablaze to think that that's what masonry's like. But I think that that's when when we have these visions of of these secret societies, that those are the chambers that they're existing in, that they're that they're these dark, candlelit, um, uh, secretive. And, and not to say that lodge rooms aren't like that, but I, I wonder if that portrayal of it factors in in any way to some of those myths on the other side of the fence. So, so not the anti-Masonic myths, but, but the pro-Masonic myths of, of individuals who look at it and think, ooh, that looks really cool. How can I be a part of something like that? Brady, did you, uh, did you have any, uh, anything that really struck you about this movie? Well, I was going to say, it was one of the things that inspired me to seek out further information, not so much the murdering prostitutes part, but the initiation uh, really struck me. And I knew several people who were Masons, and I had this idea that, wow, this is a, it's not just a group of men that get together and hold charity drives. There, there's something more to it. And so that, that sought me to seek out a petition, I mean, just to, to find out more about the fraternity. So see, so we shouldn't be hiding. You know, we look at this movie and we say this can't be good. Something like this. I mean, it's full of BS. A lot of the time, most of it's full of BS. But this can't be good. But really, in the end, it inspired both both of you guys, Damien and Brady, to join Masonry or at least investigate it. Well, the thing I would say is that it's you have to be someone who can discern. Just as you know, I was talking about earlier. You take everything in stride, you take everything with a grain of salt, and I knew several men who were great men and masons, and I knew they weren't running around doing this kind of evil stuff, and you just have to be smart enough to to see fiction as fiction. Yeah, I kind of miss that part about for the fraternity, you know, ever since we stopped killing all the prostitutes, it just hasn't been the same. <laughs> <laughs> and saving the crown. Don't forget, we're, we're running around oh, saving yes. the crown too. That's right. So, that's right. <laughs> where we are just the we're the secret society tool. So she's on Dean's money and not mine. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's right. She is on my money. <laughs> they've they've aged her actually. The secrecy and the, and the secret element, like what what Brady described, and I think I I, I felt the same thing. Uh, uh, I mean, although for, for me, that was a, an old thing. I mean, that was my thing for many, many years. I was interested in, in Freemasonry because, again, in France, it's extremely secretive and there's a lot of history around it. Uh, so I, I always was kind of pursuing this in a, in a way. And I've got, you know, but, but secrecy is as appealing as it is, uh, you know, uh, an element of rejection and revolting. Um, it, it's, it's appealing to, the, to its members, and it is one of the reasons why Freemasonry has been, um, has been also living for so long and, and been going on for so long because it's, it's a protected area. It's a protected temple. It's sacred. And there's an, and there's an idea that it's a, it's a, it's a place where uh, whatever happens in there, it's, uh, it's sacred. It's you know, profane, sacred, and that's really this separation. That's why it's appealing and it is also, of course, as we mentioned, I think, at length already, but it is also, of course, the main element uh, of rejection and fantasy and of people getting crazy about it and say, well, those people are nuts and those people are killing goats and do weird things with, their, with the blood of the goats and, uh, you know, in there and, you know, like uh, whatever, fornicating or whatever else can happen in there. But 
I think there's always this duality happening, and that's what makes Freemasonry great, fascinating on in in uh, in, in this aspect of you know as a as an element of fiction. There will be I think always novels and uh, and movies on this because it's it's endless, it's endless. You can always you know imagine stuff, and that's uh, that's what Dan Brown does. That's what uh, other people have done. I mean and and this thing of this initiation, I mean, if you look at the, at the, uh, you know, the cover, the the, page, the cover page of uh, old almanacs of eighteen twenty six seven eight, published during the uh, the Morgan affair, the anti-Masonic almanacs, they use a an engraving which exactly this. It was exactly the same image as what you have in the movie. This guy on his knees with a weird garb, with a sword on his chest, uh, and there was a subtitle saying a poor blind candidate, you know, ready to give his fate or whatever, ready to give his, his life to those evil men. And you have like weird masons around with, you know, like a, a skull and bones, uh, uh, aprons around. And, you know, so it, it, it is an old thing. The movie didn't invent anything. It's something that happened and, and was going on and exists since really the, the almost the foundation of, of, of the craft. It was it was definitely picking up on on maybe some things in the subconscious of visual cues from the past um, for older audiences, I, and and maybe important to to tag on to that um, is not so much just that it was an anti Masonic fervor that was taking place at the time, but but there are other things that were happening nationally, um, even internationally that, that sort of had dealings with this. You know, it was the rise of of American evangelism. And, and the Great Awakening, and, and and so I mean there were other things that were competing for for these sort of attentions um, that that I think factored in with it. So it wasn't just that people were anti-Masonic; it was it was that they had these other agencies that were were sort of picking at it and adding fuel to the fire of of the anti-sentiments. For you mean for the Morgan affair? Um, following the Morgan affair in America in particular, but just even the, yeah. the idea of, of it being not just, you know, oh, those pesky Masons, but, but that there were actually groups that were out there railing against them in ways, you know, that, that sort of built their platform on it. So, so in particular, the anti-Masonic party in America, but, but even some of the other revivalist traditions in America that, that sort of scapegoated off of it. You know, if you're going to be a Mason, we don't want you, or, or come to us, don't go to them sort of thing. You know, put us up as as you know the props to to rail against. I mean, it's really no different than what we see today in some of the groups that are out there in their in anti masonic uh, pros that we see today. Uh, not to talk about them, but but you, you know what I mean. The, the the groups that are out there that 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 want to peg it to every particular ill of society and say, look, you could trace all lines back to these bad guys. Um, Greg, I just want yes, to. We're running out of time, and I have one other guest that just uh, joined us to ask a question. Uh, Justin, you're on. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, haven't been on here in a while, so um, my question is: um, Alan Moore, who's ha- always had a lot of issues with his comics being adapted into films and that sort of, and he always removes his name typically from everything from this movie, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, V for Vendetta. Um, one of his key embraces that he had in his life was Gnosticism. Um, and I just want to talk about the question, uh, ask you guys the question sort of of Gnosticism and Alan, his embracement of that versus um, with the allegory of um, the craft or uh, Freemasonry's 
own Gnosticism or their own embracement of other religions. If there's sort of that parallelism. Greg, this is up your alley, buddy. <laughs> sure, <laughs> leave it to me. Uh, you know, I've read some... He used a more than a two-syllable word, buddy. I can't touch it. <laughs> um, it. I'm not going to go there. Hey, I've read interesting things about more, and, and, and I haven't read anything in particular about this book or the story. That part of the problem is that this is such an old story. I mean, really, this comes the second printing of this is from 2000. The first printing was from 99. So, I mean, we're really looking at, you know, 11-year-old book. Uh, at this point, that was probably really pre-internet, so any chatter of it's well past its uh, its expiration with it. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. I've heard some things about more though, and that this, these occult sort of topics are are of, of keen interest to him, and and that they've had um, this sort of cycle through these different things. So, so did you say League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Was that the one that you mentioned? Yeah. And, and so other themes like that, and particularly from hell. So, so you know, again, wondering what his context is of masonry. Is is it meant as a, a villainous thing, or is it meant as, you know, let's just sort of paint them in there. Right? If you look at League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they, the masons weren't, weren't in the story except as a set dressing, really. Oh, they had them. They had uh, the square and compass on the on the villain in that movie. They they did, but at the end, end of the day, the villain ended up being. Um, totally a separate group it was totally a totally different thing so so i mean it was there but then it wasn't there so so maybe it speaks to the to the greater story of just picking on the secret society aspect of it you know let me leverage that as this part of the the part of the story to to appeal to our more broader subconscious to it you know we all know the Freemasons are secretive so ooh, they must be up to all kinds of weird stuff yeah, and Sean Connery is in that movie, too. I'm surprised he let that fly. I thought he'd be out there pushing that uh, square and compass out of the way. <laughs> well, we, we don't know if he is or isn't. If he, if he is, then maybe someone who knows him can get in touch with us. <laughs> Let's leverage our network of people. <laughs> if you know Sean Connery and he's amazing, get in touch. Just two quick things I want to clear up. I know we're running way out of time. We'll, I, we'll get him a sticker show. for the show. There, there you go. Um, real quick, I just want to well, – actually, let's wrap this out, and, and, and i got to make good on something I said a long time ago that I actually got confirmation on. So um, real quick, Brady and Damien, thank you for coming on the show and, and talking about this with us. I know Dean and I, as, as the expert, not experts of, of this stuff, um, it was good to have other voices to bounce it off with. I think that we both appreciated that a lot. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And, uh, and hopefully right. you guys will join us for future programs. I think it would be good, fun to have you guys up and have more voices contribute to the conversation, uh, whether or not it's about uh, movies from hell or, or just uh, something else. And, Damien, we got to talk. Uh, you've got some works that are coming. You were supposed to be at the, uh, the exposition coming up uh, next month with the northern jurisdiction, but unfortunately you're not going to be a part of it, so hopefully your work will, will factor in that we can talk about it in a way in the future. Yeah, yeah, it should be uh, at the uh, International Conference on Freemasonry, which is held in Alexandria in May 2011. Big event, uh, and uh, a lot of people will be there. Of course, Mark Tabber and and all the big names of uh, of the Masonic history, uh, you know, uh, uh, scholarship. Very cool. And uh, Very cool. Greg, Greg, next week we next week we have another show. 
We do have another show. We actually have a few shows in the pipeline here, um, at least up to when I step away. Next week, Michael Halloran. So if you haven't read it yet, Dean, I finished it today. So so get crack a I saw that. The, the Better Angels of Our Nature, which is really a book about the Civil War, masonry in the Civil War, right? Yes. And, and really... Um, I made it as a, as a reference point earlier in the show. It, it really breaks down some of the, the myths of the past and the stories to what the reality is behind it. And, and it doesn't diminish at all from the story. I think it just changes it contextually. And, and that's probably what we'll get into in the program and lots more talking about the Civil War masonry and what the fact in fiction is. Hey, good show. I'm it was kind of disappointed, though, book. Greg. There's only a Why few pictures in the book. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll ask Michael, and maybe we can post some up in the in the preview for the program itself. I'll be writing something a little bit about the book to to talk about it and, and let everybody know about it that it's out and and they can read it. And if you want to find it now, it's probably out there. But I don't want to give away too much until we put it up. But um, Michael Haller is next week, and then after that, we are doing a show with Gate City. We're we're going to talk about Gate City Lodge which has had a, a lot of success in a lot of different programs. And, and we're going to sort of focus on education and, and get into some of the aspects of, of how to do this and how to make your lodge flourish or how to at least try to invigorate it. So that's Gate City. Then we're coming into April and we'll be adding more shows. So check the calendar, check back frequently. If you haven't already joined us, join our Facebook fan page or group. No, our group, Masonic Central. Do a keyword group. search and you'll find it. And uh, you can always join our fan page off the website, FreemasonInformation.com. Dean, what else you got on the slate? Anything going? Well, we have a few big secret guys coming up. We're, everyone should, any fans of ours should be staying closely in touch because we'll be, well, next week we should be ready to maybe unveil some big news about another guest we've been working on for quite a while, and it hit me uh, the other day, and uh, quite excited to, to, to tell you about that one. But uh, I'll leave that one uh, in the loop for a while. I don't even know if you know it's been final. it's been almost finalized yet. I, I haven't heard that, and there's actually a few in the pipeline that are like that. So so if you haven't been staying tuned, stay tuned. Um, lots of good things coming up. So April and May would be very exciting months. Uh, again, my, my thanks to, to you two, Damon and Brady. Um, thanks very much for being on the show. Dean, great show. And um, I guess we will chat with you guys all soon. This is uh, Greg saying travel light. And this is Dean Kennedy saying see you in the east.